With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glazer, a mental health podcast. Helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer. Welcome into Unbreakable Mental Health Podcast with Jay Glazer. I am Jay Glazer, and I got a great guest today. Somebody I've been wanting to meet for a long time. Somebody I have so much respect for uh, in so many different ways. And before I get to him, if you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in this country experienced mental illness last year. Yet far too many fail to receive the support they need. Carolyn Behavioral Health is doing something about it. They understand that behavioral health is a key part of whole health, delivering compassionate care that treats physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carolyn Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. I think the perfect guest coming on today, uh, because we talk a lot of mental health here. We certainly try to get men to open up to each other a lot more. Man, you guys also know that I do a lot to help out former athletes, former professional football players and fighters, when their uniform comes off to do something, that next step. And this man has taken that step to a totally different level than everybody else that we've dealt with before. It is Dr. Meyer Rolf, former FSU, former Tennessee Titan, former Pittsburgh Steeler, correct? That's okay. right. Also Oxford and now working at Harvard. It's incredible, you know, what you've been able to do. I know you, I am in the presence of someone I really admire here, so I appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. And I, like we talked about off air, watched you for a very long time and uh, been obviously really impressed with your career and everything that you've been able to do. The way you, you know, stand up for players and uh, advocate for them and the way you deliver your messages on TV and to, to us listeners, it's a lot. So we appreciate you for sure. I appreciate it. Well, I think we're kind of all in it together. You know, when I first started this business, people used their pen as a weapon. And I walked in that giant locker room in 1993 and I said, man, I don't have the education these other reporters. I don't have the experience. I was better looking, of course. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't have, have everything else. But, you know, how can I be different? And a lot of people, are, I think, are afraid to be different. I said, well, you know what? I'm not, not going to use my pen as a weapon. I think they are. I'm going to start relationships. And I got killed for it for a while. But, man, we're all in this together. And then for me, for my own mental health uh, issues, I'm always talking about building teams. I need teams around me. And even though these are guys I was covering, they became a team for me that helped me through some of the, the darkest times of my life. So I think that's why I've, you know, I've come off like that. And eventually that became how everybody has to do it in the business. It's all relationship-based business now. So I want to kind of go back early 
for you? When did you realize that you were different than everybody else? Did you accept your brilliance, if I could say, or did you hide it growing up? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, uh, growing up, uh, I grew up in South Jersey near Atlantic City. Um, we left the Bahamas, you know, when I was around three years old and my daddy got a job up in New York and we had some family who had attended Richard Stockton State College, uh, right near Galloway Township. So we just settled there. And my parents really focused on education coming from another country, realizing that America had no ceiling on our growth if we wanted to be good citizens, good leaders, good Christians, good thinkers, that we could really accomplish some really strong things in this country. Um, not to say the Bahamas was civil, under civil unrest or war-torn, but there was just resources here for us if we wanted to be great and go far. And uh, football is one of those resources, and the coaching of football was one of those resources. You know, playing in the band and being in Habitat for Humanity, doing all these things. I really just started to sort of encapsulate in my mind that, you know, there are opportunities that exist for people like me, you know, young, black, you know, kid of 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 two parents, immigrant parents, four older brothers uh, that can come and do something big in this country. And I think when I started to have success at each of those stations of my life, whether it be in the community, doing philanthropic work, or whether it be on the football field, running past people and scoring touchdowns, or whether it be in the classroom, getting straight A's, I said, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm built a little different. My parents have invested a lot in me and they keep promoting, you know, that I'm still worthy of success in this community, in this environment, despite our differences. That belief from my parents and my older brothers uh, really gave me the assurance that, you know, I am different. I can do good. I can use this great platform that we have in the U.S. coming from a smaller country uh, to go far, reach my own dreams and help people along the way. So as you're as you're growing up and you realize, man, I can really do something great with, between my years, and I can do something great on the football field. Did you have dual dreams, or do you have one over the other? I think it was dual. It really was, and I realized that it was that way because, uh, again, you know, I give love to Whitney and Beverly, my parents. They would change the rewards for my academic success versus my athletic success. So I loved getting straight A's in class. I loved turning my assignments in on time and, you know, answering the questions first and doing all those sorts of things. And I would get huge pizza pies from this Giovanni's pizza shop, Italian shop in Galloway, New Jersey, every time I came home with straight A's. And I was like, nice. And my older so brother- So they're bribing you is what you're saying. I like this though. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and the great thing about it, Jay, is that I have four very hungry, big older brothers who- uh, would often take my food uh, when I was younger. And then my parents uh, said, you cannot take Myron's food when we give him this incentive. So I got to eat it all by myself. That was wonderful. And then with football, if I scored three touchdowns, it felt good. I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. I'm running past these guys, running them over. And then my parents would give me a pat on the back like, okay, good job. I'm like, well, where's my pizza pie for <laughs> athletic accomplishments? But I loved football. I loved how it fed to my competitiveness in the classroom. And I use both of those roads as sort of like in a symbiotic sort of synergistic relationship that if I compete, I'm competing like Myron Roll on the field and in the classroom. And that drive to want to be the best didn't really stop once I took my helmet off. So to answer your question, they were dual paths. And I always sort of, you know, saw myself as a student athlete and had good balance between both lives for sure. It sounds to me like they were, they were driving you on the, the, the academic side because it's, you know, it's probably harder for a kid to dream about, oh, I'm going to go off and be a rocket scientist than it is to be a professional athlete. 
Who who did you hang out with? Did you hang out with the jocks or did you hang out with the the smarter kids? You know, it's a good question. I hung out with uh with mostly the jocks, but I was so I was easily accepted into the drama kids because uh, I played Tevya in Fiddle on the Roof as a white Russian Jewish milkman with five white daughters. Really? Uh, oh yeah. I, if I were a rich man, I was singing, I was dancing. I loved it, man. It was great. So I was hanging with the drama kids and then I played the baritone saxophone. So I hung out with the band kids a little bit. Uh, but my boys, like close, close boys, even to this day, he was my best man at my wedding were the jocks, the football players. We just, we just vibed really well and uh, we had a good time. So, um, yeah, no, it was nice. I definitely had a, very diverse friend grouping when I was younger. And I think that's helped me be a better leader and a better physician today, taking care of patients who come from different parts of uh, the world. Hey, you know, and I love that you could bring this also into what you do in your medical professional now, because a locker room, a football locker room is a beautiful place. And it's right. It's the only place you could have some fat white racist lineman being the best man at a young thug black guy's wedding. Nobody cares, right? You can fight your problems out in two seconds. As long as you can all laugh together, it's all love. There's nothing but love in that place, right? And then if the rest of the world acted like we did in the NFL locker room, we wouldn't be fighting so much. Man, you are absolutely correct. You know, people ask me all the time, Dr. Roll, what do you miss about football? Do you miss playing? I'm like, yeah, I miss a little bit, but I miss the locker room, man. I miss the the fights uh, that were fun and jovial. I miss the bets that people would place right. on the weirdest things. This is what I miss too, Jay. And I mean, I'm sure you had this experience too when you were in there, but you know, when we would fly to games, uh, it was like a fashion show. And, you know, I'm a six-round pick. I don't have the kind of money that Chris Johnson or Vince Young has. So I'm walking in there with, like, regular polo on or whatever. These guys have Gucci, Louis, Fendi, Prada. And they're like, oh, bro, you got to take that off, bro. You got to take that off. I'm like, hey, man, this is the best I can do. Joke, <laughs> And it was just, it was so fun. It was great. We loved it, man. I loved it. And that's a fun team to be around, too. I, I tell you a quick one here. I was, tr- so I, tr- I started a, the first mixed martial arts training program for pro athletes. They opened up a gym here called Unbreakable. And uh Chris Johnson came in, right? His kind of career was going down. He came in and man, he's he's going home one week and I say, hey Chris, man, don't go home. Do me a favor. Like, you're doing great here. You know, because I said, Chris, I, I thought Chris, once you got your money, you started looking for the home run every play. Instead of just like hitting that hole, you started looking. So man, we're gonna kind of give you this fighter mentality where every single time you're swinging away, swinging away, going for that knockout, right? It's just a mentality. So Chris goes home, he ends up getting shot. And, uh, you know, it was a terrible incident, right? Two weeks later, he got a sling on and uh he walks in the gym. Obviously, man, I'm so happy to see him. I love Chris Johnson. But dude, man, come give him a big hug. So glad, man, you came back out to see us. We could see that you're okay. Then he goes and he gets changed. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm here to train. I said, what do you mean you're here to train? He goes, we'll train around it. I said, you got a bullet in your shoulder. He goes, yeah, well, we'll train around it. I said, but Chris, you have a bullet in your shoulder. He goes, Jay Glaze, just figure your way out. And so <laughs> I ended up training Chris with a bullet in his shoulder and trained him all the way back and ended up getting him signed to the Arizona Cardinals after that. And he was, I think he was, I think he was comeback player of the year, but that was the first for me to have to train. Now, listen, when you hang in the fight community, you hang out with a bunch of crazy people, but this was still a first for me to train a guy with a bullet in his shoulder and, and get him through, man. But that was, uh, man, that was wild. That was a, that was a wild time. That was a fun, must have been a fun team to be around. That was a lot of fun. And CJ, you know, he, uh, he took care of me too, because, uh, we train in Orlando together where he's from, uh, the Wild World Sports at Disney. And so when I got up to Tennessee, I got drafted, you know, he called me immediately, said, I got you. So 
that's another beautiful thing about the locker room. You know, you have these guys who just want to put their arms around you and make sure you're doing the right thing and teach you the right ways on how to be a pro, how to protect the shield, how to keep your body right, how to stay away from trouble, how to manage your money, you know, how to know where the pitfalls are because you come in from, and you know this, Jay, I mean, you come in from eating Waffle House as a junior at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida, then you got the money to buy Ruth Chris whenever you want uh, and fly different people in or give somebody a little loan because they helped you out in the Bahamas when you were younger or something or in New Jersey. And what can you do? You know, how can we, how can we keep ourselves alive and how can we, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing and focus on the game. So Chris was helpful for that. Definitely a fun team. Love playing there. And it was awesome. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue global. When you come back with a Purdue global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. So now as you, your, your career goes on and you played for what, you played for four years? Uh, three, just three. three. Three years, okay? Don't, don't say just three. Three is good. Three is more than the rest of the world. And it's what I get on guys about this all the time. I say, I just did this. No, man. You, and this is why I started this foundation, MVP, Emerging Vets of Players, to, to help football players and fighters and, and veterans when they when the uniform comes off. In transition, a lot of times guys will kind of put down what they've done. Now, you playing in the NFL, Myron, is not who you are. And what's behind your rib cage that got you to beat out millions and millions and millions to play on that level. 
that's who you are. Whether it's one game or a thousand games, doesn't matter. That makes you different. And that's what people forget a lot of times. So whenever it's, I don't ever want you to say only three again, right? I played three years in the NFL. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to school the doctor here, but I'm schooling the doctor here. <laughs> hey man, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. I appreciate yeah, that. Right. I want you to have some pride that you play in the NFL, man. Man, that is, that makes you fucking different than everybody else on the planet. Every room you walk into forever and nobody could ever take that away from you. So when you did leave after year three, was it a difficult transition or did you already know, okay, I'm going to go, you know, go to medicine and I have my next purpose. Was there that time, that difficult time in between? It was definitely difficult. Even though I had the road ready to go, even though I was reading medical journals and, you know, preparing for the MCAT, you know, the entrance exam into medical school, I was thinking about the transition. I still felt that I, you know, I was young, I was 25 years old, 26, and football had informed my entire life up to that point. And my friendships, my lifestyle, my sleeping habits, my eating habits, I mean, even my wardrobe, I dressed like a player, I walked like a player, I wore slides everywhere because I wanted to keep my feet right. I was getting massages and doing all the things that you would do on a day-to-day basis. I would wake up thinking about football. Now, when that's over and you transition to your next chapter of your life, it's like, man, well, where do I fill this void? And so for me, it took me a couple of days, actually a couple of weeks of just being in my parents' home. And this sounds, you know, maybe a, a little bit of a regression, but I look at it as going to where you're protected, your refuge. I went to my parents' home. I ate my favorite peas and rice and crack kunk, my, you know, our Bahamian dish. My mommy and daddy would just sort of pray for me and just look after me and make sure I was okay. And then when I got out of that sort of moment of lamentation, I said, okay, now it's time for me to shrug this off and get going. And actually my mother came into my room and said, you know, you had a couple of things written down on a list when you were younger of what you wanted to be. Road scholar, NFL player, brain surgeon. You crossed off these first two. The second one is done. Football is over now. Now it's time to get this third one done. And I think you're the man for the job. And when mommy said that to me, that was like, the words I need to hear to say, pick yourself up. Don't say, woe is me. Get into the books and be the best brain surgeon that you possibly be because the next chapter of your life will have value, will have meaning and use what football taught you to be a better physician, to be a better neurosurgeon. And, and uh, I, thankfully I've been able to do that. So that's kind of how I shook it off and, uh, and, and um, you know, dove straight into this career that I'm currently in and I've enjoyed it ever since. Herm Edwards once told his Buccaneers players, say, hey, football is an opportunity. That's what it is. It's an opportunity. And you can use a lot of things that you learn in football in your next step of, of life. But if we just hold on to it, like, man, I just lost that forever, that's a difficult place for guys to get out of it. And I understand it because also, like, football is different than, than other sports. Like, if you play basketball, you retire, you can shoot, you know, on the blacktop with your boys forever, right? You play hockey, you can still skate around with your boys. You play baseball, you still go cat. You're done with football. It's done. It's over. There's no more. There's no, you're not going to go out and play two in touch with your buddies. It's over. And that's, that's hard. That's a really difficult thing for a lot of guys. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It is. And, you know, when I tell people this story, I say, you know, for someone who had a plan one B or one A, whatever you want to call it, like myself, even for me, it was hard to leave. So I can imagine guys who may have put a lot into football and not really paid much attention or given a priority to what the next chapter of their life may look like, those individuals sometimes are susceptible to spiraling and, and need as much support uh, to buttress them forward and keep them afloat and, and and to tell them that your worth is not defined 
by the helmets or shoulder pads and the stats you had on the field, it's really defined by the type of man and character you have and the difference you can make with the abilities that you've been able to accrue over your lifetime. Don't lose it. Uh, when I think about, you know, the people who want to employ leaders, they look for people with discipline, focus, hard work, communication skills, teamwork ability, overcoming adversity, mitigating pressure, knowing how to be coached. That's everything we've done as athletes our entire life. You can translate those same characteristics to medicine like me, education, law enforcement, business, whatever it is, uh, there is a shot for you out there. And so I think, um, you know, it makes sense. I know you're, you know, you preach the same message, Jay. What were you, when you went into medicine, were you looking for, I guess, a locker room in there, a different type of locker room and how, you know, you know, again, it's, we need this team, right, to help us between our ears a lot. How different or are there any similarities from that kind of locker room to locker room for the football you know, I definitely was looking for that sort of camaraderie, and uh, I found it uh, in my my Harvard uh, residency program up here in Boston, Mass General Hospital. It's um, you know there are over a hundred residency programs around the country, and you know I was interviewed at all of them: Johns Hopkins, University of California, uh, San Francisco, Yale, you know Penn, everywhere, uh, Miami Vanderbilt. But I liked Harvard because the residents, you know, were cohesive. They after the surgeries, they will go and, and get some food at a local restaurant and talk about life. And they can have discussions about, you know, pituitary adenomas and how it's affecting the hormonal distribution to this patient. But then the next second, they could talk about, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce's newest tour that they're doing. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I, I like the balance. I like to be able to do a little both because I never wanted to ever, Jay, be defined in a box as just a brain surgeon or just a football player. I always wanted to be a human that could intersect with other people because as much as I love this field of neurosurgery, you know, in order to one, communicate with patients, but also to bring neurosurgery to the mainstream and try to bring other people into uh, what we do uh, as far as policy, as far as prevention, uh, you have to be able to communicate with these individuals. And um, and I loved it. I love the sort of cohesiveness of this program here in Harvard. I found it here, and uh, it's been it's been great. Let me ask you. I think it's a, a difficult one, but you know, I want to get as deep as I can with you here. I don't know if there's a training for this. When you have a patient that comes in and you know they're not going to make it, and you've got to tell them they're not going to make it. Like, how do you, how do you train for that? How do you prepare for that? Does it, does it ever get to a point where it's just like, okay, I'm just going to switch in a gear and do it. And I got, I have no idea what that process would be like. Yeah. I am unashamed to say that I cried the first two times we lost patients and, you know, I was directly involved in the care. It was to a point where a, this child was unsalvageable. Uh, they had been involved in a road traffic accident. They had siblings who died on the scene of that road traffic accident. They came in two o'clock in the morning. I'm the only neurosurgeon uh, in house at that particular time. Uh, I was asked to do an emergency procedure, did it. Uh, it went pretty well, but just too many other trauma to the patient's body uh, didn't allow them to sustain life. And talking to this family that was very religious uh, very, you know, together, they reminded me of my family, you know, they were all sitting together and in, in sort of uh, on the couch, hoping for good news. And I, I didn't ha I did not have good news to give them. I held it together during that conversation and tried to stay to the facts and try to stay to what we did, what we're thinking about, what teams were, you know, enlisting to sort of help us manage your child and how we're, we're looking forward to, you know, the next steps uh, and doing it with a guarded sort of prognosis. But here's what, here are the facts, uh, leading with that rather than emotion. But when I left there, Jay, 
um, I broke down and I called my daddy on the way home, who's, you know, my hero. And I, I said, daddy, you know, this is tough. This is hard to lose this patient and talk to this family that looked a lot like us. And, um, you know, he said, Myron, if you didn't feel that way, I would be afraid that you're in the wrong profession, right? If you didn't have that empathy, that you care for these folks, even though you don't know them, but they're your patient, they're under your jurisdiction. If you didn't feel anything for them, I'd be nervous for you. And so he said, use that, use it. But at the same time, build on it and know that you're human. You have a limit to your ability. You can be a great brain surgeon, but you can't do it all. And um, just do the best you possibly can. Did you do the best you could? I said, yes, daddy, I did do the best I could. He said, great, I'm proud of you. And when hearing that, you know, I keep going back to my parents, but they are phenomenal. They pour into me and to hear them say that to me, even at 36 years old, old man with four kids of my own and a wife, I just, you know, I, I needed to hear that. And so that's how I've gotten through those very difficult situations. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Is there a part of your education where they train you for these conversations or do they just leave it up to you? No, it's, it's it happens so quickly. It's so, such a, a rat race sometimes in neurosurgery. Uh, they have social work available. They have some mental health coaches that they have uh, at our disposal if, if we need them. But honestly, Jay, I mean, we're working 80 plus hours a week 
as residents sometimes and trying to see if we can even get food in our system because we're running around doing surgery, seeing this patient, seeing this consult, moving here, moving there, doing all these things. It's kind of, it's really hard to sort of think about yourself uh, in those moments. But in that particular situation, you know, I, I did, you know, come to a realization that I got to take care of this home base first before I can do anything for the next patient, because the next patient is going to expect the best doctor, the best Myron role that he can be. And if I'm less than that, I'm not doing a service for that patient or his or her family. And so uh, I, I needed that. And I've recognized it in myself, but with our sort of schedule, it's it's very difficult to sort of sit down, take a breath, and um, really work through some of these challenging moments of our, our neurosurgical journey. On the other end, give me a story that you end up saving someone that I mean, you didn't know, but that's really touched you and you're able to carry with you forever now. That lifts you up. Yeah, no, I actually wrote about it in um in one of our main academic neurosurgical journals. It was a young lady, 15 years old, was with her boyfriend who was substantially older than her. I think almost... 10 or 15 years older than her. Uh, they had an argument in the car. He shot her in the head with a handgun, close range. Uh, her friend dropped her at a local hospital that was near us, but not our hospital, uh, right at the doorstep. Then the friend left. So she was basically left abandoned there. The nurses and everybody in the, in the facility took her, got her to us. I was the only nurse surgeon in the house again with my attending at home. We were ready to, to get to work, brought her in, emergently got her to the OR. We saw that the bullet was lodged into her brain and way too deep for us to go in and try to retrieve because it was abutting a very important vessel. And if we remove the bullet, then she would just have torrential bleeding from this vein. So we left the bullet in, uh, but we cleaned out all the necrotic sort of debris and all the sort of, you know, the, 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 the dirt that came from that, you know, that bullet uh, and that sort of heat that comes with it. And we sort of fixed her up a little bit and, and put a monitor in her and she stayed nice to you for, I would say um, about two weeks or so. She has a visual field deficit, uh, but she was able to work with physical therapy, occupational therapy, live. Now she's at home, uh, at school. She's got a young daughter. She's taking care of her daughter. Wow. Her mother and everybody's super proud and happy for us. And the, the young lady has called back to me and my attending and said that we saved her life and she was appreciative of it. So that was a big win and, and something that I'll never forget for sure. That's amazing, man. That's fantastic. I love hearing stories. So she still to this day has the bullet in her head. She's got a bull in her head. It's, you know, it's got a risk of moving, uh, very, very small risk, but um, it would have been much, much more dangerous. And actually it would probably lead to uh, a fast demise if we had, if we had moved it. So we left the bullet in there. There are research articles that talk about retained objects, you know, you know, being steady and, and stable over a lifetime. And so we're going to keep monitoring her and keep getting imaging over the years. But uh, right now she's doing pretty well and she's back reintegrated with her community. And we appreciate that. I said, I want to ask you another end here. I always tell guys, because uh, obviously I fought for a long time. And I wasn't a good fighter. And, uh, you know, I, I started wrestling in 82, boxing in 88, I think, uh, mixed martial arts in 99, and then started training guys from 05, 07 on till, till now, right? So my brain's a mess. But I always tell guys, listen, I know I'm fucked up. But I'm good with my fucked up. Don't tell me where I'm fucked up unless you have a solution. So everybody tries to tell me they have a solution. So I want to know what solutions are. Now, what I'm saying about this doc is like, yeah, those of us in the fight game, like both my front lobes are damaged in, or, or dented in. And there's a dent in the back here also. But even like football players, like I, I don't know if there is enough solutions yet for us, but we're being kind of scared and told, oh, yeah, man, like, man, you, you both your front lobes are damaged in and this has happened and this has happened. I'm like, all right, so what are we going to do about it? 
Well, you know, I just want to let you know. So now you know your symptoms. Well, fuck, I didn't need to know my symptoms yesterday. I was fine yesterday until you told me this. Where are we as far as getting better in, in you know, in that getting our brains healthier? And, and I've been to a lot of different things. I, I went to, and I've tried, I think, a lot of stuff that's out there and none have helped yet to this level. Where are we uh, on the spectrum of, of getting our brains healthier for kind of all of us out there? Yeah, I, I think we're still a, a bit away uh, from that, from the point where, where we all want to be. Uh, not only keeping the current athletes safe, but those former athletes, you know, protecting and preserving the function that they have in their brain. The brain is the best computing database that anyone could could ask for, right? I mean, we're able to process information at a rapid pace and speed uh, that is remarkable, better than any computer. The synapses, the neurons, the connections, the signaling, the pathways, the reorientation of pathways when there is a bit of a damage, the plasticity of the brain to be able to work around some of those damaged areas uh, that cells have either died or cells are swollen or whatever the case may be. Uh, the brain finds a way. And even vasculature, right? Vessels. If something, you know, is, is a stro- stroke patient or a patient that has got some level of ischemia, you know, the neovascularization to sort of work around almost like detours and find a new avenue to sort of resupply blood and oxygen to the brain tissue is fantastic. I think what we're doing now with traumatic brain injury is trying to include more people into the discussion from neurosurgery like us, neurologists, uh, to sort of pin down on what symptoms are the main predominant symptoms for people. Is it cognitive issues? Can you not think that clearly? You got a bit of brain fog. Is it insomnia? Is it photophobia? Uh, is it um, amnesia? Is it uh, profound headaches? Is it mood lability? You know, what is it? Or is it all of these things, right? What do you what what is your main predominant symptom and what's the main predominant neurotransmitter that we're seeing at an excess level um, in these particular patients? Then you bring in social psychologists to talk about the ability to self-report and say, you know, as men, sometimes we try to guard ourselves and, or even athletes in general, just try to guard ourselves from saying that we are weaker or not feeling right or a little bit off because it's not a broken bone, a broken shoulder or a limp, you know, it's not something that you can visibly see or people say, Oh, I see you're hurt. I see it. You know, this, this mental issues or sort of uh, cognitive issues with people that can be a nebulous sort of topic that not everyone can see or relate to. Uh, then you bring in physicists, right? How do you deal with the rotational movement of the neck and the head and, and sort of working that through? So there's a lot of multidisciplinary work that's going on. There are studies happening right across the street at Boston University talking about if you play for a long time, you may be high susceptible to ALS or you may be high susceptible to Parkinson's disease or Parkinsonian kind of symptoms. So there's some long-term research going on. Technology is still being worked through. So the discussion and the, the topic is still ongoing. There is not, I think, a magic bullet at this particular point, nor a magic therapy. Uh, but what I do feel is sort of the next frontier of this, uh, of what we're doing in traumatic brain injury is trying to preserve and protect the game that we love uh, and these sports that we love by making it safer in any way we can. Technology, understanding what plays may lead to some of these issues, um, making sure we can identify traumatic events a lot sooner. We don't have the radiology, the radiographic sort of findings just yet. Everything is pretty much autopsy when you expire. They can look and see if you have these buildups of proteins and not really right now 
while you're alive. And so a lot of work to be done, a lot of conversations around it. But I think it's what's coming down the line for the younger group that is coming up, my kids coming up and the younger children are coming up. I think that's where you'll start to see a bit of the difference juxtaposed to the group that's either playing now or playing in the past. Because right now you got guys in the past. I have a friend who just went and got a brain scanned by a certain university. And I said, well, why, why are you going? He said, well, I want to know what's going on. I said, why? And he said, uh, I just want to see. So he went and he said, man, you know what? I thought I had like five or six concussions. It turned out about 40 to 50. And I said, so what are they doing about it? He goes, well, nothing. But now I know like the computer screen is harder to read it. I get headaches. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't yesterday until they told you this information. And that's why I ask you about this because that's what like it leads us down a bad road. There is no, you know, I'm sure there will be you know better solutions soon. And I do for myself too. I'll do hyperbaric chamber. I'll do uh, supplements. I'll do you know just certain things I could I could do. I've learned breathwork and meditation and things like that. But my other question to you is, you know, I have you know memory issues and I. I I'm starting to think it's not so much from getting hit and it's more so much that I'm just using up so much data with this phone in my brain. Like the addiction that I have to this, to my phone is, I don't think I've ever been addicted to something like this. And I've had a Viking addiction. I've been on Adderall. I've been, you know, stuff like this, but man, what's, what is the, the correlation to how our brains are being affected by how connected we are now to our phones and tablets? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, the information that you're able to process with these images, with these screens, it's a lot, you know, and I kind of mentioned that processes happen concomitantly in the brain. You have these photoreceptors, you have your eyes that are taking in that information. Then it has to get back to your cortex and process what it is. Then you have to sort of relay it to your body to say, okay, I'm going to have an emotional reaction to this, or I'm going to speak to this, or I'm going to actually physically move my hands and respond to this. So there's all sorts of things happening over and over and over and over again. And the brain, just like any muscle in the body, can get fatigued, uh, can get overrun. And if it's not replenished with glucose, hydration, good sleep, vitamin E, which, you know, I'm sure you're probably aware of as well, you know, these sorts of supplements uh, that can help relieve some of the, the metabolic waste that comes with those processes. Whenever you have a process that happens in the brain, there's waste that comes with it. And if the waste builds up, because you have lack of sleep or lack of hydration or, you know, you're not really healthy in that way, then it sort of creates this sort of, like, we call it a fog in neurosurgery. It's just literally somebody in a daze and they're going through life and you can le- you see them, the lights are on, but not really anybody's home, right? And they're just not really functioning at that clip that you would expect somebody who is a high functioning individual. So there's a lot to it. And yeah, I, I definitely believe in, you know, the limitation of some of the exposure of uh, stimuli that we get. And I do it early, even with my children, you know, I mean, they're not on, you know, things often. And um, even though it's easy to kind of take care of them and they can get on their iPad and look at Coco Melon and they can just be quiet. <laughs> like, nah, let's take this away. And, you know, let's go throw a ball. Let's go run outside. Let's go swim in our pool or something like that. I'm going to finish off with one last question, which I ask every one of my guests. Podcast is called Unbreakable. Unbreakable to me is something that should have or could have broken you. But didn't, as a result, you came to the other side of that tunnel stronger for the rest of your life. What would that unbreakable moment be for you? Man, I think that unbreakable moment for me was, um, probably getting released by the, by the Pittsburgh Steelers in my third year and feeling like I let people down, uh, in New Jersey, in the Bahamas, at Florida State. I've always been, you know, at the higher level of, of competition. 
And now I have a group telling me, I don't want you anymore. Uh, I don't need your services anymore. That could have broke me. That could have stopped me. But because I had a great family, because I read great books like Gifted Hands by Ben Carson, and because I had great mentors and people to pour life into me, I said, I'm going to pick myself up and get 2% better every day and keep working towards being the best version of myself. So one day I can flip the script and help people not only take out brain tumors and, you know, fix people who've got traumatic brain injuries, uh, but I can be an advocate and a voice for my former teammates who say, hey, Myron, or they call me three, you know, my number in college. What can I do to help my brain? What can I do to, um, you know, keep my mind sharp? I love being able to reach back and help my boys like that because they mean so much to me. So I think that would be my unbreakable moment. Doc, I appreciate you joining me. Three, thank you so much, man. I really, this has been fantastic. Dr. Meyer Roll here on the Unbreakable Podcast. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.